the Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete had this chant when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they'd go, to the top, Johnny. And I say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the topmost of the poppermost. And I say, right. And we'd all sort of cheer up. Now then, boys, what are we going? To the top, Bry. Where's that? To the toppermost of the poppermost. Welcome back. We are now on to the American charts. This is May of 1963. It's probably not as forward-looking as April or even some of the February and March charts had been. It's certainly not as forward-looking as the British charts both are and were the last few months. No, but we will see the debut of a particular R&B artist in the American charts that will become a legend, and we will see some other interesting debuts. And a lot more Rick Nelson. Yes. (laughs) Just what we were wishing for. Which brings us right to the American charts. Here is something to consider about the 1963 Billboard charts. For the entire year, there is not one single number one song that has an electric guitar solo in it. Wow. Wow. You want to see how the Beatles change things? There you go. definitely going to see it is still dominated by pop on the charts and by traditional pop artists like tony bennett steve lawrence uh many other artists like that the old school pop has actually aged better than the bubblegum pop of the absolutely i agree yeah i'm not saying that and i'm glad you said that because i'm not saying that in a negative way but we're going to see some other interesting entries on the charts however So the first week of May in 1963, May the 4th, at number one was I Will Follow Him by Little Peggy March. It's another one of those songs that is just, it's in the zeitgeist, it's in the ether. You know it. It's it's a great song. It really is. And you can sing this by heart. One thing that's really kind of a sad thing, though, just as an aside, Little Peggy March, she was 14 when she recorded this, 
And then it went to number one when she was 15. And I don't know, this may still stand, but she, I think, is the youngest female artist to have a number one hit. But back then, she, of course, was a minor. And so the then the Coogan Law, you know, named after Jackie Coogan, the child actor, yeah. prevented her parents from managing her money. And so the responsibility was placed on her manager, her then manager, Russell Smith. Well, it was discovered in 1966, he squandered her fortune, all the money from Ooh. her records, oh. and left her with $500. Wow. Can you believe that? That's, that's awful. Okay, because of that, she has a lot of questionable records, including one from the 70s called The Beatles, John Paul, George, Unringo. John Paul, George, and Ringo. England, Liverpool, Mercy Beat, Cavern Club, no Backed by a song called Pele. Yep. There's a song where, uh, well, I'm trying to uh, do anything that might possibly sell some records. Although, sorry, Ringo fans. It sounds like some of the lyrics Ringo might come up with these days. Oh, dear. (laughs) But that may explain it. Because, I mean, she had all this money stolen from her. So that could explain why she did it. It don't come easy writing good lyrics, you know. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Here comes the sun is about you, as Ringo says. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we went to London town, we didn't do much hanging around. I was with you know who. I played the drums like I always do. Alright, at number three, another classic song, but it's another song without an electric guitar solo. Puff the Magic Dragon by Peter, Paul, and Mary. Puff the Magic Dragon Lived by the sea And frolicked in the autumn mist In a land called Hanalee And of course, this falls into the category as we talked about in a past show of the pop folk trend. That was still happening at this time. Not quite the Bob Dylan brand of folk that would happen not too far ahead. But Peter, Paul, Mary kind of fell into this category. And Puff Magic Dragon, what can you say? I mean, this is an absolute classic. Although nowadays they insist that it has nothing to do with the wacky tobacco. Yes, absolutely. I listened to this as a kid. I mean, they you always know, was marketed as a children's song and all. And Damn it, I believe it. It's a children's song. I love it. It is a children's record, but I can't believe there weren't at least the undertones of it there. Mm -hmm. Well, who who knows? It's just about somebody that lives by the sea, obviously. Mm -hmm. Aw, you guys. (laughs) And Beatle-wise, for some reason, they were around on the Hard Day's Night set. There's a famous photo of them with... Ed Sullivan, when the Beatles taped that little intro promoting Hard Day's Night, the pictures from when they did that, there's Peter, Paul, and Mary. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Mm, Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. At number 35, Sandy by Dion. 
you know, it's a Dion song. Why must I love you so much, Sandy? I long for your touch. I better luck the next time, Sandy. I don't love it, but I like it. I like his voice on this. I mean, just, you know, show what a great singer he was. And it's interesting how his vocals are really mixed way up in front on this track and classic doo-wop arrangement. In fact, to me, it sounds a little out of its time. You know, I mean, it sounds a bit more 50s. And once again, the sound will be kind of fading and then in the not-too-distant future. You compare this to what we saw last month where we got a little bit more Motown, we got the Beach Boys were coming up. That was a little bit more forward-looking than the charts for this month here in the States. Yeah, true. Moving on, a song that Kit really wanted to talk about, Got You On My Mind by Cookie and His Cupcakes. Yes. Okay, so some people who know me who have seen some of my talks and I will not be surprised that I want to talk about this. Got you on my mind, feeling kind of sad. This is a song by an artist that is an example of a genre called swamp pop. And it's very interesting because it's a genre that would show up later in the Beatles, specifically in Abbey Road track, Oh Darling. Oh Darling was heavily influenced by swamp pop. And swamp pop came out of South Louisiana basically the Acadiana region and a small portion of Southeast Texas. And it has tripleting piano, saxophones, lovelorn lyrics, kind of a strong R&B backbeat, a bit influenced by Fats Domino. And if you think of Oh Darling, the vocal that Paul uses on that, that, you know, rip your heart out kind of delivery, you know, if you leave me, I'll never make it alone. Oh Darling! You leave me I'll never make it alone That is classic swamp pop sound. Cookie and his cupcakes are one of the major artists of this genre. They came out with a song in 1959 called Matilda, which is considered the swamp pop anthem. So I was pleasantly surprised to see on the charts here at 95, Got You On My Mind, which is another one of their songs. And it's very much in this same genre. Now, it's a little more up-tempo than Matilda, this version, but it's definitely 
you know, the same kind of thing. It's that, again, the tripleting piano, the lovelorn lyrics, and the lead singer, whose real name was Huey Cookie Terry, he had that crying vocal kind of delivery. So it's very interesting to see this because I wonder if the Beatles heard this back in the day. And I think they picked it up other ways too because Clarence Frogman Henry was also a swamp pop artist. And I have a feeling, of course, we know they toured together. So that's another way they could have picked up swamp pop. But just interesting to see this here. And then just to think, in 1969, here it comes. All right, at number 100, Forever by the Marvelettes. Marvin Gaye would do his own version of this a little bit later, and I kind of like the Marvin Gaye version better. Yep, but it's a pretty ballad written by, it was not Holland Dozier Holland, it was Lamont Dozier, Brian Holland, and Freddie Gorman, who was another Motown songwriter. Pretty song. But you'd find Marvin on the album that the song's from. Anyway, Marvin Gaye actually wrote one of the songs on the album and produced and played drums on one of the songs on the album as well. Yeah, he was still playing drums at the time, still a songwriter, but we will see in just a little bit. He had an important song that's coming up on the charts. All right, the second week in May, May the 11th, at number 60, It's My Party by Leslie Gore. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to I think we don't hear Leslie Gore nearly as much these days as we did when we were younger. I agree. And it's too bad because I think she has an amazing, very versatile voice, very strong voice, and sang some other songs. Of course, You Don't Own Me, which was way ahead of its time, and provided that great link to a performance she did on Ed Sullivan, the medley of Cry Me a River and Hey Jude. Wow, I'd never seen that before. Now, recording star Leslie Gore sings Hey Jude and Cry Me a River. Leslie? Now you say you're lonely You cried the long night through Well, you can cry me a river Cry me a river You know, I thought that was an impressive performance. And the other place that Beatle people will uh, have seen her live for sure is the Washington, D.C. closed circuit actually had as, quote, opening acts, unquote. They weren't actually opening for the Beatles. They were separate films, which they just put in front of the the Washington, D.C. film. One was from the Beach Boys and one was from Leslie Gore. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, of course, it's my party, you have to mention here, produced by Quincy Jones. Notable first pop production and definitely 
an interesting production for him in that, you know, it has more Latin percussion to it, double tracked vocals, horn parts, kind of a preview of the kind of sophisticated production he would do later on with Michael Jackson and so many others. So this is a sneak preview of what he would bring to pop recordings because otherwise, of course, he was known for jazz up until this point. Notable record in many ways. At number 70, a song we've spoken of briefly and and Kit kind of disparaged it a little bit. (laughs) Lazy, Hazy, Crazy Days of Summer by Nat King Cole. Mm. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I love Nat King Cole. I really do. But this was a period that was not great. It's, uh, you know, these songs that were mainly very commercial and just not showcasing him at his best but they did well i know that roll out those lazy hazy crazy days of summer those days of soda and pretzels and beer i like it a little bit more than you do but it is a pop song and and he doesn't use his talents to the best of his abilities in it right since we're mentioning that king cole something that i came across Spencer Lee seems to believe that maybe the song Paul was thinking of with regards to yesterday was Answer Me, My Love by Nat King Cole. I don't really think so. There is one line which is kind of similar. Yesterday, I believe that love was here to stay. Won't you tell me where I've gone astray? It's kind of sort of the same rhyme scheme as yesterday, but the Two songs sound nothing alike. Answer me, oh my love. Just what sin have I been guilty of? Tell me how I came to lose your love. Please answer me, sweetheart. You were mine yesterday. I believe that love was here to stay. Won't you tell me where I've gone astray? Please answer me, my love. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of hard to prove. I mean, and I love that song, by the way. That's a great song. But I don't know. I think that's a bit of a stretch but not impossible, obviously. Again, it may have been something that stuck in Paul's mind, but it's not what caused Paul to dream yesterday. No. Really? He dreamed yesterday? Yeah, I'd never heard that before. (laughs) At number 74, Wildwood Days by Bobby Rydell. The other song that we had mentioned from him is better. Mm -hmm. This one is overdone. It's got those big horns, and it's almost like it's trying to be Sinatra-esque. Although I will say it's a little charming because it's apparently about Wildwood, New Jersey. And it was famous apparently for his nightlife and it was popular for rock and roll performances. And it was, it was played on the boardwalk stereo system. And, you know, so it had kind of a charm in that sense that it captured this period of time, this city and, and all. So, I mean, it has kind of a charm in that sense, but yeah, definitely not a song I would play repeatedly but you know it has kind of an innocent charm for that time (laughs) 
In the 1950s and 60s, Wildwood was a major destination for newly mobile families. The construction of the Garden State Parkway and cars built for cruising made it easy for vacationers to reach this seaside resort. The popular music of the era inspired the name for the eye-catching style of architecture in Wildwood, referred to as doo-wop. Fun, imaginative, and surprising. These family-owned motels attracted attention with dazzling neon. Miami Beach inspired designs. Although I do like him throwing in the lyrics, gonna twist again, gonna twist again, in a song which is clearly meant to be a throwback, like I say, almost a Sinatra-esque kind of vocal. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of interesting in that sense. Kind of a snapshot of a time period. At number 75, there's Tony Bennett with The Good Life. Ah, classic. life full of fun seems to be the ideal mm, the good life lets you hide all the sadness you feel this is one of his signature songs I've heard him sing it many times live. I love it. And it's just exquisitely produced. And his vocals on here are just perfection. I love this song. I was thrilled to see that it was on the charts at this time. As, as you were mentioning, some of these pop songs stand the test of time better than the bubblegum stuff and all. Here's a perfect example. I can't add anything to that. That's exactly what I've got almost the same on my notes. I knew I liked you, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At number 78, the follow-up from Skeeter Davis, I'm Saving My Love, is okay. Time after time, I've waited for your grace. Time after time, I've waited in Maybe a little bit better than okay, but I certainly don't like it quite as much as End of the World, and it's a little bit more one of those songs which is just kind of on the charts. I like her vocals on it, though. I mean, she was a great singer. And once again, as we talked about the last time in relation to her, this is the Nashville sound that Chet Atkins was the proponent of. I mean, he didn't produce this, but again, it's that pop kind of sheen combined with country. Patsy Cline was another symbol of it. But Skeeter Davis, as I mentioned before, was a major influence on so many you know, later female country artists, Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, 
the list goes on and on. At number 90, the Righteous Brothers with Little Latin Loopy Lou. You know, considering how we think of the Righteous Brothers, the whole blue-eyed soul thing, this was a shock to hear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Shock in what way? Oh, because you were used to the exactly, the exactly. Yeah. Nineteen sixty-one, sixty-two. Got a girlfriend of mine, Loopy Laguna. It's the truth. A lot of people wonder if there's a real Loopy, and there is. Hi, Loopy. You're now on television. Yeah, Loopy Laguna. I met her at Santa Ana High School. And I really didn't write the song about her, but it was uh, like a, I needed a catchy title. And Little Latin Loopy Lou seemed to be. Why didn't you catchy. call it Little Latin Loopy Laguna? Well, I was going to, but I didn't want to get that personal. The first six hits by the Righteous Brothers were on a small record label called Moonglow Records. Ray Maxwell had a little record company in Garden Grove, Moonglow Records, one of your biggies. And we, uh, our initial records, Little Latin Loopy Lou, My Babe, and some of those, we literally physically distributed them ourselves in cardboard boxes. It's more sort of slightly watered-down Beach Boys than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I would think the Latin was trying to sort of cash in, I, that sounds a little harsh, but on the Latin craze that was going on at the time, which we've talked about in previous shows, the Latin sound. But yeah, it definitely sounds very different than what the Righteous Brothers would become known for, that blue-eyed soul sound. You know, this is very dancey. But I do remember hearing this when I was first like in high school, you know, learning about, quotes, oldies. Uh, but this and, is an example of exactly how Phil Spector would change an artist. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because we, they hadn't hooked up with yeah. Phil yet, but, I mean, that too was coming very quickly. But it's got, got, got a good danceability to it. It makes you yes. tap, tap your foot. I think uh, musically, I think Bill, Bill Medley is a great one for writing the music, and in a sense... It's a shame that his songwriting wasn't utilized during the Spectre days. That is true. They mentioned the twist in this song. And so we mentioned the Righteous Brothers because they were on at least the first part of the Beatles 64 American tour. They were ones who actually quit the tour because they felt they weren't being paid enough attention to. Yeah, I mean, I think they felt we should be the senior act here and, you know, we're sick of hearing we want the Beatles. <laughs> we're out of here. Now, you toured with them for, for quite a while that year. Um, did, did you, as crazy as things were around them, were you able to have much interaction with them while you were traveling or did things kind of get separate because of the craziness? Well, it was it was tough because of the craziness, but we... We went on right before the Beatles, and uh, so we always talked to them uh, uh, for a few minutes right before they would go on. They're waiting to go on, but we all traveled on the same plane, so we got to talk to the guys quite a bit and, and uh, did some doo-wop music and all that nonsense, and uh, so it was great. It was uh, a lot of fun to do it, but... It was more interesting than it, than it was fun because those kids were there to see the the Beatles and the, 
the Righteous Brothers did, we had had about three or four uh, West Coast hits. So when we were at the Hollywood Bowl and stuff like that, we did real well. <laughs> but boy, when we got to the East Coast, it was, we want the beer. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Boot camp of rock and roll. Yeah. All right. At number 98, the flip of Rhythm of the Falling Rain, The Last Leaf by the Cascades. interesting thing to me about this song is the wind sound effects which goes through it yeah it's interesting i don't like it as well as rhythm of the, of the rain one's an all-time classic and one is just a song in their catalog right exactly but yeah kind of an, an interesting sound and again you know great uh, harmonies but and this definitely did not match the success of rhythm of the rain we move on to the 18th of may at number 88 gypsy woman by rick nelson So, you know, we've been doing, this is now six months of the charts. While he doesn't have big hits, Rick Nelson had a great volume of hits Mm -hmm. through this period. Very consistent. Yeah. He is by far out in the lead in terms of number of different songs that would hit the charts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This isn't one of my favorites of his. I like the bass line on it, and Rick sings it well. The guitar solo is great. Yep. Otherwise, it's not really a standout for me, but decent. The thing to note about this is one of the writers of this song was Dorsey Burnett, the brother of Johnny, you're 16, Burnett. And Dorsey was also the father of one of the 90s members of Fleetwood Mac. Yep, he's the father of Billy Burnett. And I'm a particular fan of quite a few of the songs from that era as well. I think they're underrated. You know, like Love Shines, I think, is an overlooked song by Fleetwood Mac. At number 89, There Goes My Heart Again by Fats Domino, who we were just speaking of before. Yep, the influence on uh, Swamp Pop. Well, there goes my heart again. 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 So don't let me down. a fascinating song i think it, it's a kind of a, a different rhythm for him piano isn't quite as upfront as in uh, typical tracks of his fats wrote this different sound for him i like it it's kind of amazing to realize that he got this whole thing out in one minute and 41 seconds yeah 
That's true. I'm surprised you know. there's no footage of either John or Paul doing this because I, I would have thought they would have really enjoyed it. Yeah, this is a song that one of them would have really taken their teeth to, I think. Mm. But yeah, nope. Yeah. At number 97, Jackie DeShannon, who was also on the 64 Beatles tour with her version of Needles and Pins, the Searchers version, as we will see very soon, is the better known version. I like this version. I like female singer doing this song. Yeah, and she really has a great voice. She can handle so many different kinds of genres. Yeah, I think she does a good version of this. And I'd forgotten that Sonny Bono co-wrote this. Right. And that was the very, very early days of Sonny Bono's. At number 99, Pride and Joy by Marvin Gaye. Great song, and it shows up in the first U.S. visit footage. We see Murray the K playing that. While the Beatles are driving in from the airport. Yeah, in fact, the Beatles requested Murray the K play it. What can you say about this song? I mean, it is classic. Marvin Gaye co-wrote it. It was considered to be a tribute to his then-girlfriend, later wife, Anna Gordy, who, of course, was Barry Gordy's sister. Marvin Gaye, who could compare to him as a singer? He had that gospel tinge to his voice and the Funk Brothers backing. And also Martha Reeves and the Vandellas sing backing vocals. Again. Yes, indeed. It was just weeks before Heat Wave would hit the charts. So it was, I think, one of their last appearances as backing vocalists on his tracks. Well, it just shows you what an engine Motown actually was. That's for sure. Incidentally, uh, Heat Wave is Marvin on drums. So we, we (laughs) we move on to the last week in May, May the 25th. At number 72, once again, yet another song from Rick Nelson, String Along. String Along, you never seem to notice I'm alone. I just want you to want me to. How I hope and pray that you need me someday. Yeah, definitely more of a country-tinged kind of track. 
saying, you know, I'm just your string along uh, or backup man. Not super crazy about it, but. I think I'm getting a little bit tired of Rick Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies to Rick Nelson fans. We, we, we just had one too many of those to have yet another one show up this week. Oh man. Oh, I like some of his stuff. I I really do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, there's another one. (laughs) It's a fine song. I, I don't dislike the song. It's not one of my favorites, but I don't dislike it. It's just really, do we need another Rick Nelson song here? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's just not a standout for me at number 76. Poor little rich girl by Steve Lawrence. It wasn't Stephen Edie. It was just Steve Lawrence on this one. Finally found something that your daddy won't buy for you. Poor little rich girl. Yep, and written by Goffin and King. Interestingly enough, it doesn't sound like it. It sure doesn't. Mm. I looked it up. It is. At the end of the year, the Beatles would do jukebox jury, and they would have a Stephen Eady song. Can't stop talking about you. And, well, go ahead. Let them know what John Lennon said. I don't like it as much as their last one. I don't even like it. I usually like everything that Goffin and King write, but not this one. It's too sweet. You know, dee-da-dee, that sort of thing. It's a bit Christmassy, maybe. That's an, It'll be a vague hit. Ooh, that's cutting. It's like some of my remarks earlier. Well, I mean, I guess Goffin and King wrote a lot for Stephen E. You know, there's two in a row that they've written for Stephen E. At least. Wow. But again, I mean, this is an example of that. Obviously, the Beatles have not; they wouldn't reach the U.S. charts until the following year. So we're still seeing artists like Steve Lawrence. Not putting down Steve Lawrence; he's a great singer. But we're still seeing songs like this on the charts. That it's just amazing. In just a short time, these songs will be gone. You mentioned John's comments. Paul's comments are even a little bit more biting. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a good one. It's all right. That kind of thing is catchy. It may be catchy, but I just don't think it's good generally. Wow. <laughs> just not beat around the bush. <laughs> but ironically, Ringo and George liked it. Oh, dear. Despite their comments in December of 1963, in August... At the end of their U.S. tour, when the Beatles would appear in a charity at the Paramount Theater, one of their opening acts was Stephen Eady. Wow. Opening act. Oh, man. You know, it's a charity show. Opening act in quotes. Yeah. You know, you had to have things for all the family, and there's Stephen Eady, and, and there's a photo of Stephen E standing in front of Ringo's drums. <laughs> Kind of walking off the stage. Oh, jeez. Showing the two eras right by each other. Yeah. My goodness. Okay, at number 77, Your Old Standby by Mary Wells. Cause you know that I'm your
It's a little bit derivative, but I, I really like the horns on this song. Yeah. This is, of course, another Smokey Robinson composition. <laughs> and this was the follow-up to Laughing Boy. Didn't do as well as that, but her next single, which... I'm sure we'll talk about on a future show. Uh, what's so easy for two as hard as one would fare better. And again, this was the early days of Motown where Mary Wells was, particularly when my guy would come out, was the first lady. The female face of Motown. The female yeah. face of Motown, exactly. Okay, at number 88, Sad Sad Girl and Boy by The Impressions. Love this group. Yeah, The Impressions. I mean, talk about an important soul group. Curtis Mayfield, Jerry Butler was once a member of the group as well. And this song came off uh, their debut album. And talk about a great album. It also had Gypsy Woman and It's All Right. That's quite an album. You know, and they really were able to combine gospel, R&B, soul. And, of course, Curtis Mayfield, you know, wrote the songs. And this is a great example of his work here. Little girl, stop your crying. Little girl, stop your crying. Just because you have no one to love. This happens every day. Yes, it does. Maybe love will come our way to a sad, sad, sad girl and boy. Oh, yeah. This beautiful ballad with just these tight gospel harmonies. It just sounds like classic Curtis Mayfield. Clearly, I hate to say it, but Paul McCartney clearly listened to his stuff because on uh, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, there was that one song, Anyway. If you love me, won't you call me? I've been waiting, waiting too long. Sounded a little like people get ready. <laughs> a little, Maybe just a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So I think <laughs> more than yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, at number ninety-one, Otis Redding with these arms of mine. Oh my Great god. Great song, killer track. Oh yeah. my god. Ugh. These arms of mine. This was Otis Redding's debut, his debut single. Wow. Yeah. And what a debut, <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. And he was basically backed by Booker T and the MGs, you know, the Stax house band. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. And he would be signed to Stax. I mean, this is just one of the best soul singles ever. What can you say by just one of the greatest soul vocalists of all time? 
Now, while the Beatles clearly listened to and liked Otis Redding, there aren't as many interactions between them as you think there might have been through the years. No, that's true. I mean, you know, and you'd think there would be, but obviously they were fans of Motown and Stax, but this is one of the greatest soul artists of the 60s and one of the greatest recordings. So just really cool to see this here, that this was his debut. Yeah, I mean, George would say that the lick and drive my car was probably stolen a little bit from Otis Redding's lick on his version of Respect. Yeah, that's right. He did mention that. There's one, at least. And again, as time goes on, I'm sure we'll find others, but it's not this big, huge, here's where they're talking about this and that. And it's like, oh. And as far as I know, they never ran across each other. Wow. Kit, have you looked at the personnel for this song? Yeah, isn't it amazing? I know it's Booker T and the MGs, but you've got a rarity because Steve Cropper's on piano and Booker T's on organ. Organ. And it's rare that you find Steve playing keyboard. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Otis's confidence was shared by a young manager from Macon named Phil Walden. So in 1962, when Johnny Jenkins traveled to Stax Records in Memphis to record, Walden arranged for Otis to come along as Jenkins' driver with the hope that Otis could somehow record a song of his own there. Johnny Jenkins pulls up. The driver, Otis Redding, gets out. To Jim Stewart, Steve Cropper, to Booker T. Jones, to all the Stax guys. Who's this guy? Must be the valet. And in fact, Otis helps unload the equipment from the trunk of the car. Otis was a quiet kind of guy that was not intrusive with his attitude and spirit, but he did want someone to take a listen to him. And he made that connection through Al Jackson Jr., who was the core drummer for Stax. Now Al Jackson came to me and he said, you know, I told you about the, the tall guy. If, do you have time? He's driving me nuts. Do you have time to take two minutes and just hear him sing for a second? I said, well, OK. I started playing, I think, in B-flat or something. And he come out with these arms of mine. And I promise you, the hair on my arms. Because it was so perfect. It was artistic. It was emotional. He was only saying, these arms of mine. You know, he started playing this song, you know, with them, these arms of mine. And, and of course, everybody was like, wow, you know, this guy's incredible. Wow. And so it was sort of a, you know, happy accident that he even recorded the song i mean it's really you know one of those things kind of a magic accident that he even got to record this song and then it was released as a single and i don't think he was supposed to record it that day with booker t and the rest is history as they say yeah i mean things just happen i mean yep we always talk about all the coincidences that made the beatles happen it wasn't just the beatles exactly Yep, things just fall into place. And then closing out the charts for May of 1963, at number 100 was Soulville by Dinah Washington, a nice enough song. I like it, but I mention it because her cover of September in the Rain from 1961 
while it may not be the only version that influenced the Beatles cover of it, it's certainly one of the ones that they included in their arrangement. The sun went out just like a dying ember That September in the rain To every word of love I heard you whisper The raindrops seem to play a sweet refrain Though spring is here to me, it's still September Ooh, that's September In the rain I like her blues and jazz recordings much better, like her version of like What a Difference a Day Makes, and she could record in a wide range of styles. And yeah, this one, I mean, it's fine. It's not one of my favorites of hers. But yeah, I do love her jazz recordings. But that's interesting. I didn't know that they partially based that their version i don't know that for a fact either but you listen to her version of the record and you listen to how you know paul sings it it's like yeah i think they picked up at least a little bit of it if not the whole arrangement from her interesting okay well it's possible for sure all right so that is may of 1963 for me to you is at the top of the british charts for the entire month on both the british and the american charts as we have said We've got a little bit more both old school pop and then the bubblegum pop, some of which has held up and some of which hasn't. It's really interesting to look at what's there. It's a little bit less forward looking than some of the previous months have been, I think. Mm -hmm. But you also have some classic, what became classic soul records that have emerged. The debut of what would become some incredible artists like the Hollies, Otis Redding. So there are some changes afoot. On the charts. And Billy J. And Billy J. <laughs> and George Martin productions are becoming a big thing as well, slowly. 37 weeks out of 52. That's all you got to say. Pretty so. impressive. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back next month with June of 1963. Take care. See you next time. There was a piece in the NME, a news piece, that said the Top Rank Records, remember when Top Rank had a record label? Yeah, they introduced an LP series next week that will be called Toppermost. And it's coinciding with their current advertising slogan, Toppermost of the Poppermost. Yes, I thought, they got it from somewhere. They saw that, they must have seen that in either the NME or Record Mirror or Disc, Record and Show Mirror as it was then. And they've taken it from there. They've obviously thought, how stupid that is. How stupid is it's one of those phrases that someone, an older person who doesn't understand teenagers, comes up with a slogan that they think is going to be the hip slogan of the month. Toppermost of the poppermost.